Suicide claims the lives of more than 120 Americans each day. All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. Welcome to All Inclusive. I'm your host, Jay Ruderman, and today we're going to address a serious issue of suicide and mental health, specifically first responders, meaning police, firefighters, EMTs, people that help us in times of need. This is coming on the heels of many celebrities who are coming out about issues of mental health, anxiety, depression, and so forth. And we commend their leadership, people like um, Kevin Love from the NBA, Michael Phelps, Ariana Grande, Dove Cameron, Selena Gomez, Kristen Bell, Ryan Reynolds, Mariah Carey, and even Prince Harry, to name a few. And also, over the summer, we've unfortunately had some very high-profile suicides. Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, who was a favorite of mine, and most recently, a young woman, uh, Ellie Souter, 18 years old, who was a member of Britain's Olympic snowboard team. Just some facts before we get into the discussion, some relevant statistics about suicide. Suicide claims the lives of more than 120 Americans each day, according to the Center for Disease Control. And over the past two decades, suicide rates have increased nearly in every state in the United States. Half of the states have seen suicide rates increase by more than 30%. And today's topic on mental health and suicide of first responders, which is including, again, police and firefighters and EMTs, the Ruderman Family Foundation recent white paper has found that more first responders die by suicide than in the line of duty. My guest today is a program officer at the Ruderman Family Foundation, Miriam Hyman. She received her PhD in Applied Developmental and Educational Psychology from Boston College. She is the author of the latest Ruderman white paper on mental health and suicide of first responders. And Dr. Hyman, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit about this very serious, heavy issue, but an issue that impacts um, millions of Americans, millions of people around the world, and seems to be a growing phenomenon in our society. Why this white paper? What, what led you to write a white paper focusing on um, first responder mental health? So we noticed that the bravery of first responders is brought to the public's attention in the aftermath of the most huge and horrific tragic events. Things like the recent incidents of terror in Parkland, Las Vegas, Sandy Hook, and more. But the public discourse very rarely acknowledges that first responders witness death and destruction regularly, if not daily. In a conversation that I had with Commissioner Evans of the Boston Police Department, he was telling me about a murder victim that he encountered. And 
early in the conversation, I assumed that he was telling me about an important turning point in his life or in his career. And then a few moments later, I realized he was describing just the day before, maybe 12 hours before the conversation that he and I were having. And that was a turning point for me and for us at the foundation, because we realized that given the regular exposure to death and destruction and horror, um, we should expect this to exert a toll on our first responders. And it's important to to pay attention to that. So I think all of us um, have an appreciation for first responders. I mean, in our time of need, in a medical emergency, uh, something happens in our home, a fire, um, we, we depend on the police, firefighters, EMTs to save our lives, to save our property, to keep order in our society. Um, I think that most people hold first responders in very high esteem, but maybe you can talk about what the most pressing, pressing issues are facing first responder mental health. Yes, absolutely. So we know that first responders have elevated risk of post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and substance use. One study found that almost 50% of firefighters surveyed had thought about suicide at some point in their lives. And another study found that the depression rate among police officers is five times higher than the rate among the general population. And what's important to point out is that before you can enter the police force, you have to pass a qualifying mental health exam. So when you enter the police force, you do meet a baseline level of mental health. So these rates of depression, of PTSD, of anxiety that we're seeing really represent deterioration of mental health after joining the police force. Um, and, and that's because, you know, first responders, yes, their bravery is unparalleled, but they're also human. So when they witness this death and destruction, this exerts a toll on them. We should expect it to. Um, one survey of police officers from around the country found that on average, police officers encounter 188 critical incidents throughout their career. And these critical incidents include things like death, child abuse, domestic violence, things like that. Um, and so without access to mental health services, this exerts a toll on their on their mental health. And the results of our white paper show that in 2017, there were 103 firefighters who died by suicide and 93 firefighters who died in the line of duty. So more firefighters died by suicide than in the line of duty. And this 103 is, is likely a vast underestimation of, of the actual number. This is a number of reported and validated suicides. Um, experts estimate that the actual number of firefighters who die by suicide per year is, is closer to 200, which would be twice the number of line of duty deaths. Also in 2017, there were 140 police officer suicides and 129 line of duty deaths. So there was a recent coverage of the white paper in the Boston Globe a few days ago, um, which focused on a retired firefighter, and some of the things that he experienced were things that I think any human being would have a hard time um, adjusting to, um, holding a baby as the baby is dying um, in front of his parents or showing up to a fatal auto accident where the person is still alive and holding your hand and their life slips away right in front of you. 
So let me ask you, we've seen this um, sort of abundance of celebrities talking about mental health and how that's affecting them. And some of them have talked about suicide. Some of them haven't have spoken you know, more about the mental health that they deal with and how they deal with, and they've really become leaders on this issue. In the first responder community with police and firefighters, EMTs, um, there are some great leaders who are speaking out, and many of them you've met and you've interviewed, and Commissioner Evans at the Boston Police Department has been a leader in speaking out and talking about the importance of the mental health of his officers. But historically, why do you think there's been a dearth of um, raising this issue publicly within the departments or in in the press in general? So that's a great question. I think, first of all, there's a lot of stigma around mental health and mental illness in our society at large. We know that children and adolescents who experience symptoms of mental illness, it takes them about 10 years to access services after they start experiencing symptoms. And it's because our society at large doesn't talk about mental health and mental illness. So these kids are ashamed to speak up or they don't know what they're experiencing and they don't know, know how to ask for help. And the police and fire departments around the country are a, are a microcosm of this larger phenomenon. These are professionals who explicitly prioritize bravery and toughness and putting others before themselves. So there's the perception within these departments that to speak out about your own struggles is selfish and it's contrary to your job description. And there's also the perception that speaking openly about your own struggles will injure career advancement or development. Um, Mental health is a prerequisite for becoming a police officer. And folks fear that if they speak openly about anxiety or depression, they might lose their weapon. Um, They might be told that they have to retire. And that's not entirely fictitious. That has happened. People have been discriminated against after speaking openly about mental health and mental illness. And yet we hear so many stories of um, police and firefighters who, uh, because of stresses and mental health issues, um, have not only turned on themselves, but an increase in domestic violence against their partners, um, an increase in alcoholism or drug use. These are all factors that will affect their performance and affect the performance of public safety in the departments. So where are departments in addressing this issue in order to keep a healthy department who's available to respond to the public needs? Yeah, so I before I answer that, I want to elaborate on your point because I think it's an important one. We depend on our first responders to be as physically and mentally fit as they can possibly be. Um, and we know that mental health and mental illness when untreated can interfere with decision-making in in a crisis situation. The symptoms of PTSD include flashbacks, and when you're experiencing a flashback, your cognitive capacities are not as strong as they could be. And studies have shown in emergency situations that have been recreated in a laboratory setting, 
that emergency workers who experience flashbacks, that diminishes their ability to assess risk or to plan a multi-step response or to divide attention between a victim and a perpetrator. There are also links between physical health and mental health. So mental illness is associated with higher levels of cortisol, um, which leads to higher levels of cholesterol and also obesity. So you're absolutely right that when we ignore the mental health, our entire society is at risk because our first responders are not as capable as, as they would otherwise be if we were acknowledging this issue. We talked a little bit about um, domestic violence, but what is the toll, not just on the first responders themselves, but also on those who depend on them, their families? So uh, we know that divorce rates are higher when first responders experience mental illness, domestic violence. And then in terms of how departments are beginning to address this issue, um, they are. We're seeing progress in this area, but we need to see a lot more. There are about 18,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States, and less than 10% of them have suicide prevention training programs. But we know that when leadership of these departments do speak openly about these issues and encourage their professional members to seek and access treatment, that's when we see real change. So why is that? Why, why are many departments not sort of getting with the program and, and realizing that this is a real crisis facing them and not addressing it? Why, why, why are they ignoring it? I think what we really need to see is culture change, and, and we're not there yet. We're starting to. The president of the International Association of the Chiefs of Police has said officer mental health is an issue of officer safety. But we're still waiting to see that, that message from leadership trickle down to individual departments. And I think why we're not there yet is there is a tremendous amount of stigma in our society at large, and also within smaller departments and also within families. Family members often hide the suicide of a loved one. Um, so in some cases, the, the department leaders might not know of suicide within their own departments. And I, I think there's a real fear of a vulnerability and to some extent for leadership to speak openly about this issue they have to show their own vulnerability and within these professions that prioritize bravery bravery and courage that's something that many people aren't yet comfortable doing i think this may be an issue for another show but maybe there could be an analogy to how soldiers who are returning from combat and the way society treats them and and the real issues that they might be uh, facing with uh, mental health issues and post-traumatic stress and how the stigma may be exacerbating the issues that they're facing. And maybe maybe there's a corollary between that and first responders. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also important to point out that many first responders do have military experience and the impact of trauma is cumulative. So many of the horrors that first responders witness are piled onto um, a personal history that's already pretty rife with trauma. So within the first responder community, there's a lot of diversity, um, race, sexual orientation, um, sex of, of, of the officer. And how, how is this relevant? How, how does this play a role, the, the diversity in the population? Across cultures, there are differences in terms of openness around mental health and mental illness. So some cultures are more likely to access services than others, and those differences exist 
within first responder departments as well. I think it's also to point out that some of the barriers to to receiving treatment and help are pragmatic and not necessarily related to culture or stigma. In some areas of the country, it's easier to access mental health services. There are more available qualified people who can offer that support. So we see differences across urban versus rural areas. We also see differences across paid versus volunteer firefighters. Paid firefighters have access to the resources that their department provides, whereas volunteer firefighters often do not. And so, you know, I think it's an important distinction between these pragmatic barriers and these more cultural barriers. I think many departments do a very good job of providing qualified professionals who can deliver mental health services, and yet the firefighter and police officers don't access those services. So um, while I think there's variation in cultural barriers, there's variation in pragmatic barriers as well, the extent to which the services are available. So the Ruderman White Paper on Mental Health and Suicide of First Responders has gotten a lot of media attention, especially the statistic that jumps out that more first responders die by suicide in the line of duty. That, that's, that's been a key pullout statistic. Um, but why is this not getting more attention? Like, like it seems like as, a, as an American society, we're more responsive to the latest attack and issue, tragedy, and then society tends to take action. Why don't you see more action occurring now? So I think the field has been very reactive in this area as well, um, as opposed to proactive. Boston has made great strides in the area of first responder mental health. Um, and all of the leaders that I've spoken to here have said it was really in the aftermath of the Boston Marathon bombing of 2013, um, which was a time when many first responders witnessed horrific tragedy and it was a very public event and at after that the city of boston saw the need to do something um, and they've made great strides there's now a program at mclean's hospital which specializes in mental health for first responders and people with military experience and many police officers and firefighters are able to access those services through the insurance provided by the city of boston so I think to answer your question of, of why aren't people doing more and paying more attention to this, I think, unfortunately, we've seen that it's taken these big, horrible tragedies to spur action in this area. In, in writing the paper, I'm sure you, you've had many conversations and met people, and, and, and there's so many different stories, but what are some of the stories that sort of jump out at you that you're just like, this is something that really had a personal impact on me. The stories about children, I think, are the most difficult to hear and absorb. Um, I spoke with a detective from the New York City Police Department who was telling me about a four-year-old who had just been horrifically abused, and when he arrived at the scene, she had died. Um, stories about fires in which entire families pass away, it's starting to change, but the norm has been for decades that after these really life-changing, horrendous events, you go get a beer with your colleague and then you go back to work the next day. 
So even when there is access to a mental health professional or a mental health checkup, so to speak, the culture has not been to take that step. The culture has been to have a beer, suck it up, go to work. Right. So more toughen it up. And this is part of the job. And, you know, whether you're a soldier or first responder, this is what you deal with and just deal with it on your own and you know, go on with, with, with your life, which some people may be able to do, but a lot of people uh, may not and maybe repress it and, and it comes out in, in other ways. So what do you think needs to happen in order to see real change? When I spoke to a psychiatrist here in Boston, she suggested referring to mental illness amongst first responders as an occupational hazard. It is absolutely normal. And given what these men and women go through on a daily basis, it really isn't an illness. It's it's normal and normative, and we, and we should expect to see this happening. The question is then, how do we address it? So I think, you know, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that this issue is very complicated. The majority of police officers who die by suicide use a gun, and of course, we, there's no way to limit access to weapons. There are also pragmatic barriers, as I mentioned before, in rural areas. You might have to drive an hour and a half to see a qualified mental health professional. So this is complicated. And, and at the same time, first responders work very long and perhaps very odd hours. Putting all of that aside for now, the answer really is conversation. When people aren't talking about this, first responders who are struggling with depression or anxiety feel ashamed and therefore they feel alone. And it seems as though getting help is, is not an option. So the conversation can start at the top and in, in the national news outlets or the department chiefs in fire and police departments to encourage regularly their subordinates to access care, to have posters within offices that have phone numbers of who people can turn to if, if they need help. And I think that conversation has to start at the very beginning and has to extend throughout the career of firefighters and police officers. In some academies, they're learning about the importance of maintaining mental health along with physical health. And that's great. It should start as early as the academy. But we have to make sure that these mess that, that our police officers and firefighters continue to receive these messages throughout the entire course of their career. First responders who die by suicide, their lives should be celebrated and they should be remembered as heroes, just as we celebrate and remember the lives of first responders who die in the line of duty. I think it's also important to point out that the National Law Enforcement Memorial in Washington, D.C., currently first responders who die by suicide are not allowed to be included in that memorial. So we need to change that. We need to celebrate those lives. And, and that, in turn, will bring this issue to light so that people don't feel ashamed, they don't feel alone. And then I think we should do more to encourage first responders to access those services that are available within their departments. Um, others have suggested instituting mandatory mental health checkups, perhaps annually or perhaps after a critical incident. And I think we need to prioritize mental health as a society the way that we prioritize physical health. So in the age of social media and where news is happening 24-7, this issue of, of mental health is getting a lot of attention, but it can also uh, reinforce stigma. And, and I think that the stigma of society, that people with issues of mental health um, are weaker, is something that, that 
you know, we need to combat. And it can happen from the ground level. It can happen from um, uh, leadership like um, Commissioner Evans, other leaders in the first responder community across across the United States and across the world, political figures. I do think that that there is um, a growing trend in entertainment. And I, I don't know if you have any, you know, it's a little bit off topic, but it's on topic. I mean, why is that happening in your opinion that entertainers um, are coming out and talking very publicly about their mental health and it's not really happening in the first responder community? Yeah, so I, I hope, I mean, I think the optimistic view to that is that entertainers see their power and their potential to have a tremendous impact because you're right, mental illness is seen as weakness. And yet when the idols of our society speak openly about their own experiences and struggles, that shatters the view that mental illness is a sign of weakness. Um, so when, when we hear people like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, speaking about his experience with depression, I think that forces us to, to rethink how we view mental illness in a very good way. But I think you also brought up a, an important point where for celebrities to bring up issues of mental health doesn't necessarily adversely impact their career. In, in fact, sometimes it might help their career. Whereas a first responder addressing it in a very bureaucratic um, structure may actually harm their career. So I think yeah. that's an issue that needs to be addressed by the overall first responder community head on. Yes. And I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge that for some people with serious struggles, it might be the right answer for them to take some time off or to retire. And and people are afraid that that will be the answer they receive. And that's a real fear. However, the more that we institute regular mental health checkups and regular access to mental health services, we can prevent people from getting to that point so that people will receive treatment for more minor or subtle mental health struggles before it gets to the point where they are told, yes, please go home, take a week, take a month, whatever. Right. And I know that this is a heavy issue and it's not comfortable. I mean, none of us like to think of, of suicide. As I said in the beginning, the suicide of Anthony Bourdain really hit me and millions of people around the world very heavily because we were attached to him. He was on our TV every week and he was full of life and experiencing wonderful things around the globe. And 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 we often don't see the signs, but um, we really have to shine a light and put this out in the open um, so that... Um, we can have a more fulfilling life and a more secure life and, you know, watch out over those that we love and our, our kids and our, our, um, you know, people that we depend on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think Anthony Bourdain seemed to have the perfect life. And I think it's a, it's a great example for, of how this issue can impact anyone and that loved ones might not necessarily see the signs and the best we can do today is is talk about it and hopefully reach someone who um, is having a hard time and, and encouraging all of you out there to access services if if that would be helpful. So I think we have to be very cognizant of the fact that popular media has a huge impact, especially among younger people of how they look at 
issues of mental health and suicide. Um, so many people who are celebrities, younger celebrities, have come out very courageously and talked about mental health, which I think will impact a lot of younger people um, to look at their mental health and to to take it seriously. And and you know, we as a foundation have commended them for this. And um, but we also have to be careful that we don't glorify suicide, especially when it's on the rise. Um, recent show, um, 13 Reasons Why. I know from my own kids who are young, who watched the show because it was popular in their school and a lot of people were watching it. It's a very disturbing show in terms of dealing directly with suicide and some very disturbing scenes. And what, what you don't want to happen, I mean, the entertainment industry is hugely influential and you don't want to see these copycat um, issues where people um, take action based on messages, messages that they're receiving. So I, I think that's important. I mean, I think on the one hand, we're dealing with stigma. On the other hand, we're dealing with a really serious issue and we want to save our kids. And, and you know, life is, it has a lot of pressures now has a lot more pressures with kids being on social media and bullying and so many things that they're facing that um, the entertainment industry, uh, public in general, public figures have to be very careful about how they talk about this and that we don't do things that might encourage people to take actions that are irreversible. I agree. I think that conversation such as the one that you and I are having today is a very key piece to the puzzle of ending this epidemic. There are really effective mental health services and treatments out there, but without conversation, people don't know about the ser those services or they don't feel comfortable accessing them. So ending the silence around this issue, I think is key to seeing change. And as you said, ending unnecessary tragedy. So first of all, I want to say to anyone who's listening to this, if you need help, if you want to talk to someone, there is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and their number is 1-800-273-8255. There's someone there to speak to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you're having any feelings of suicide, um, acute depression, you know, I suggest that you reach out to this number. I mean, we really need to, as a society, make this a national priority. We don't want people that are coming to our aid to be in a situation where they are unhealthy and, and unable to help the general public. And I think we need to turn to our public leaders to really address this issue. And I want to commend you, Miriam, for taking the lead in writing a white paper on mental health and suicide first responders that I think is having a tremendous impact on our national culture and is getting a lot of media attention. Hopefully we'll get more media attention. One thing that I've noticed is that this white paper is getting picked up all over the country and whether it's in North Dakota, Louisiana, any other state around, around the country, every police department has a story where they're dealing with the mental health of an officer or an EMT or firefighter. So it's so important to continue to, to get this story out there. 
you know, we at the Ruderman Family Foundation support first responders in every possible way. We realize the importance that they have on society and we want to make sure they feel welcome and able to access life-saving mental health care. I think that's a wrap and and I appreciate everyone for joining us uh, today to listen to this podcast. I want to especially thank Dr. Miriam Hyman for joining me and discussing this important issue. Thank you, Jay. It was great being here. Thank you. is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash all-inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at Jay Ruderman. <laughs>